Welcome to the Concord Online Podcast. Each week, we're going to be bringing you sermons from Concord to be a resource for you to live on mission with us to inspire people to follow Jesus. Let's give God praise for a time of worship, can we? Man, it's good to worship the Lord together, sing the truths of the Scripture. Man, it's great to be back with you. I say thank you to the church for allowing our family to get away for a Sunday. We had a great time. We went to see all the family, and so we got back more exhausted than we left, but it was great, right? Like, we had a good time. We got back Wednesday or Thursday, and uh, we just, we had a great time seeing everybody. So thanks for letting us be away a week. You know what that means? We'll be long today, uh, but uh, we'll have some fun in it. Grab your Bible. Let's go to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. Next week, I'll begin a series of sermons uh, about prayer, and I really want you to be here for the next few weeks. We're going to I pray the Lord will make our church a place of prayer. Uh, one of the things that you hopefully have noticed as you come in before service begins, uh, 10 minutes before service or so, there's some folks that have been praying in our worship center, and there's an opportunity for you there. And I hope one day that you'll feel comfortable enough that if you've got a spiritual need, even before service begins, you'll come and just begin to seek the Lord for it. Uh, Jesus said, my house will be called a house of prayer. And so I hope for the next few weeks you'll be with us as we seek to understand and how we can take hold of God as we pray. But today, I really believe I've got a message that I would just consider mission critical to all that we have going on and what we're doing. Like, I think today's message for many of us, I'm praying today's message for many of us will clarify and strengthen our resolve, but also will help us know how to engage with something that's happening in the world around us. You know, there's a study group that's called Pew Research Center, and Pew Research Center estimates for every person who becomes a Christian, four more leave the faith. And as heartbreaking as that is, we need to understand that there is a movement among us in our day that is wreaking havoc in many hearts of many different believers. The the, These folks many times have been taught the scripture from a young age, but they're being carried away from that truth by philosophical arguments from the culture. Many times it happens like this. Someone's scrolling on social media or they're listening to music or they're sitting in a lecture and someone begins to poke holes in what they believe. And typically the holes are poked on secondary theological interpretations, but, but over time, they begin to make us question the very foundations of our faith. It's, it's amazing to me how you know, social media influencers and social media reels and TikTok, it's amazing to me how they can make seemingly compelling arguments in a matter of seconds. Our high school students are here this hour with us, and guys, you live in this world where everybody tells you to question all of these things that you've been taught by institutions. College students that are in this morning, young adults. Many of us were, were taught to question everything and only believe what we can comprehend and understand. Though Maybe say it this way, only believe what, what resonates with us. You see, we're culturally conditioned to follow what re- resonates with us rather than inconvenient and difficult truths that require faith. In our day, the idea of what resonates might be the most important word used in evaluating spiritual experiences. Hear me now. 
We need more than spirituality that resonates. We need everlasting truth. And if we're going to be the people of God and the church of Christ, we need to understand what culture's trying to do and, and how only truth will remain. A lot of people, they, they call this process that people go through of leaving the faith deconstruction. In its contemporary usage, it's, it's not necessarily used in the way of a traditional definition. In, in a common term or traditionally defined, it would be the process by which something is disassembled or analyzed or reassembled, and the purpose of deconstructing something originally was to rebuild the structure sturdier and more sensible than before. But what culture says is that we deconstruct our faith not to build back sturdier, but we deconstruct our faith to throw it away and find something better. This is why you hear me so often declare to you that Jesus is better. He's better than anything this world can offer you. And my hope is that you would hear that over and over and over again, just the simple statement that Jesus is better. And whatever comes at you in your week that is causing you to think something other than Christ might be better, that you would remember that Jesus is simply better. Sean McDowell wrote, he, he said, deconstructing Christians aren't necessarily skeptics. They're often seekers. And they're seeking for a Christian faith that works. So we need to understand this today. Like This is not speaking to critics, but many, many of us are many times it's speaking just to seekers. L listen to me now. Thinking deeply about your faith is not a bad thing. It's a good thing. But thinking deeply about your faith does not require you to throw away your faith. There are people there that say you can't be a Christian and an intellectual. That's just simply false. That statement is made from a competing worldview to a biblical worldview. And the anchor point of that statement and the anchor point of a Christian's life are different. They're just different. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1, the scripture says, Therefore we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. And this is our season. We need to pay much closer attention to the gospel we've been taught. Because for many of us, we were taught a Christianity that's filled with knowledge. But the gospel we were taught is built on knowledge and not lordship. And so we can know the gospel, but the gospel might not change us because we interact with the gospel from a cognitive level of knowing, not from a lordship level of believing. You see, far too many of us, we just, we have this checkbox and this checklist and we know nothing of the power of the spirit. We've never experienced the power of the risen Lord in our life. And so we just deconstruct things because we say it's not working. Where when what's not been working is that we've not made Christ the Lord of our life. And this is what Paul is speaking to in Romans chapter one. The, these verses in Romans chapter one that we're gonna study together, they're, they're actually the thesis for his entire book. And I would tell you today, if you're struggling with your faith, if you're considering this process of deconstructing, I wanna encourage you to study the book of Romans. Because the arguments that Paul makes in Romans are very similar to the arguments that culture is making today. How could that be? 
Because there's nothing new under the sun. The devil doesn't have any new tricks. He's using the same tricks today that he's used in every generation to carry people away from faith. And we've got to understand that Jesus is better than the tricks of the enemy. And so stand with me and let's study together in Romans chapter 1, two short, simple verses that I hope will show us the modern fight for true faith and encourage us to walk by faith in a difficult day. Romans chapter 1, verse 16. The scripture says, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. May God bless the reading of his word. You can be seated. Now Paul who wrote the book of Romans, or the letter of Romans. He was a missionary in the New Testament, and he would go and he would preach the gospel in all these places, and he would go and move and go and move, and he always had this dream to go to Rome. Like it was Paul's ultimate goal to get to Rome. He wanted to get the gospel to Rome. He carried the gospel and other missionary journeys kind of to the Near East and all of what we would consider the Middle East today, and, and he wanted to get it into Europe and get it to Rome, and so so when he writes this letter to the Romans, he's accomplished that. He's gotten the gospel to Rome, and now he's trying to ground the Roman church with this letter that clarifies the work of Christ and grounds the mission of God in the gospel of Christ. But what Paul understood was that Rome was a proud city, and the gospel came from Jerusalem, the capital of one of the little nations that Rome had conquered. So, so think about this. He's going to the conquering nation with a gospel from the defeated little nation. Christians of that day were not among the elites of society. They were common people. Roman culture had many great philosophers and philosophies, and they just did not respect the message that Paul would bring from the conquered town of Jerusalem. That's why in verse 16, as he starts his thesis after his introduction, he's like, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Like he doesn't start there from a standpoint of being you know, obstinate. He starts there from a standpoint of, I know you will not respect what I say, but I still declare it to you as truth. And this is where we as Christians must stand in our culture. We understand that you do not respect or honor what we stand upon as Christ followers because you're living from a different worldview, but that does not deter me. I will still not be ashamed to declare to you the truth that I've found in Jesus. And see, from this posture, we can engage culture, and from this posture, we can declare truth in a way that's not harsh and judgmental, but that is loving and kind. Understanding that there's a difference in foundation. For the Christ follower, the foundation is Christ, and this is the truth. And from the world, the foundation is its cultural whims that throw it here, there, and everywhere. And so what we see is, as people have, are struggling in what to believe and how to believe, and as the, the, the holes are poked into the knowledge of the things they thought they believed, we see that their true desire is the desire for truth. Their true desire is the desire to, to know what is real. The, the philosophy of destruction says that, that you can't trust anything that is declared outside yourself. It, it's actually founded in a postmodern worldview that wants to self-define truth. 
And what deconstructing does, it sends you on a dangerous journey where you throw away all truth until you can discover it for yourself of what resonates with you. So many folks that I meet who are in this process of deconstructing, they're, they're deeply convicted because they've thrown away everything they thought they knew. They're deeply convic- conflicted and, and frankly, they're, they're in a situation of despair because they've thrown everything away. They, they've said, I gotta figure it out for myself. Friends, Jesus offers to us a way of salvation And he not only said, I am the truth in life, he said, I am the way. And for those of us who feel like we're going through life trying to figure it out on our own, I'm just telling you today that Jesus' way will help you see truth and help you discover life. Deconstructing wants you to throw away your faith. But think about it now. All of life requires some faith. You came here today because you believe this is a safe place where you can worship and hear the Bible taught and continue to wrestle with your faith. And I'm super glad that you're here. You'll get in your car in just a few minutes and you'll drive in an orderly fashion, particularly in the parking lot, you'll drive in an orderly fashion because you have faith in the training that you have and in that, that others have received through over time or from an instructor, like you say, all right, that car's gonna stay there and we're gonna go here. Like think about, if we just didn't have a little bit of faith when we got in the car. Our son's 15, turned 15 early in September. Y'all need to have more faith. (laughs) Or how about when you go to the doctor? Like you go to the doctor and you have conversations about your health, but, but no doctor can promise you with absolute certainty that what he can prescribe to you is actually gonna fix the problem. It's even called the practice of medicine, just a thought. He's practicing on you. See, all of life requires a little bit of faith. So the real question is not what is certain. The deconstructionist philosophy says you gotta find what is certain and what you really believe. What resonates with you? The real question is not what is certain, but who is trustworthy? That's the question. Who is trustworthy? A culture that consistently changes or a God who sent his son to die in your place to rescue you from sin and shame who is the same yesterday, today, and forever? Who is trustworthy? So what Paul shows us is the trustworthiness of God in Christ. And he shows us how to win the fight for true faith. Verse 16, notice with me that if you want to win this fight for true faith, you've got to center your faith on the person and work of Jesus Christ. Center your faith on the person and work of Jesus Christ. Paul said he was not ashamed of the gospel, which begs the question, what is the gospel? The gospel explicitly is the good news about what Jesus has done. More broadly speaking, the gospel is the whole of Scripture because all of Scripture points to Christ and what he has done. Most narrowly, it's the way of salvation. But the way you understand the gospel is not just by focusing on the good news, but starting with the bad news. Like, understand now, if we just want to think about the good news of Jesus dying for us, we're missing some of the power of the gospel. 
See, the, the Old Testament law was given to Israel during the time of Moses so that it could be viewed as a measuring stick. And sin is anything that falls short of the measuring stick that God established in the Old Testament. And so the standard of God was perfection, and so no one met that standard, and so they needed to be something that took place, something that could take people from their mess and reestablish them according to God's standard. In the Old Testament time, they would slaughter animals because it was the shedding of blood that would provide for the remission of sins. And so you'd have a, a favorite animal that was perfect and blameless and spotless, and you would actually put your hands on that animal to hold it down on an altar, and it would bear the weight of your sin as it died in your place. And the blood from that animal would be sprinkled upon the mercy seat. You say, that's gross. That's the price tag of your sin, man. And who Jesus was in the New Testament was Jesus was the perfect sacrifice. He would say, how is he perfect? He was, he was a man. He wasn't just a man. He was God in the flesh. God, at Christmas time, we say incarnate. He was born of a virgin. So he was like us in that he was human, but he was not like us, that he did not bear the sin nature that we bear. You say, come on, man, I'm supposed to believe that Jesus was born of a virgin Bro, we also believe that he comes back with a sword in his mouth. So pick which one you want to believe. Like, you, you see the idea? Like, like, he is like us, but not like us. And so it's not that you're ever going to be able to understand and comprehend the gift of God that was Jesus Christ for us. We don't have to comprehend him completely. We have to receive him as Lord. Like, the way of life is, is going to take some faith. Because you're never going to be able to like pin this down of how did this happen? God made it so. That's how it happened. It requires some faith. You see, the, the Old Testament, it shows us that despite our goodness or badness, we're all in the same spiritual boat. You say, is badness a word? I just made it up. It is now. Like despite how good we think we are or how bad we think we've been, we're all in the same boat because by nature we're sinners because we were born into sin. And we all have sin and sin's punishment is death according to Romans chapter three. So what the law did was the law established that, that when we don't measure up, that's sin and there needed to be a sacrifice to pay the penalty of that sin, Hebrews chapter nine. The scripture says, indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. And so, like, there had to be something done. And Jesus' death on the cross was a sin offering to fulfill the law's requirement. That's what the gospel is, is that Jesus paid the price for me. He was my sin offering. And when Christ offered himself at Calvary, it became a symbol. That cross became a symbol and became a reality for all who would believe that the atoning work was finished in Christ, that his blood was sufficient for you. The elements of the gospel are clearly stated in 1 Corinthians 15. Listen to this, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3. Paul wrote and said, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. He was buried. He was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. He appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, 
and then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers and sisters at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. You see, the fact that Jesus conquered sin and death is good news. But the fact that he resurrected and he offers to us for us to share in his victory is the greatest news of all. Center your life on this. This is the center of the Christian faith, who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. Culture wants to poke holes in the scripture. It wants you to wrestle with all kinds of questions and perceived errors. Culture wants to say, well, what about this translation and what about that translation? But hear me now, a centered Christian life is built around the gospel and allows the gospel to inform all else. It starts with Jesus and his work. It's not trying to answer all of the random kind of secondary, third, tertiary issues before they believe. It starts with Jesus. And then we allow Jesus through his Holy Spirit to fill in all those other areas. Jesus believed the Old Testament. Jesus quoted it. Jesus affirmed it. He understood it. And because of his testimony, because of what Christ said about the Old Testament, we can look to the Old Testament with great reliability. There there are some theologians that say, you know, separate the Old and the New Testament. This is one message from God that started with God created the world, Genesis chapter 1. Sin entered the world, Genesis chapter 3. And the rest of the Old Testament was mankind's effort to try and get back to Genesis 1. But they couldn't. So God sent a Messiah in Jesus Christ in the New Testament in the gospel record. And then as the Messiah came, he left his Holy Spirit to establish his church because one day he's coming back to return us all the way back to Genesis chapter 1 that we might live with him in the garden forever. Like this is the message, it's not two separate things, it's one message, it's the message of Jesus. So center your faith on the person and work of Jesus Christ. Like we shouldn't be surprised when people attack the scriptures. They attack the scriptures all the time and they have for generations. What it shows us when people attack the scriptures is that they understand that there is real spiritual power And the devil in them wants to stop the spiritual power in the word of God from getting in you. That's why people attack the scriptures. The scriptures were not written only for a people at a certain time. It was written for all people at all times. Listen to Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12. For the word of God is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. Piercing to the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. And discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Like that's what the word of God does. It's living and active and it discerns the intentions of the heart. Listen to me. We understand the gospel because of the certainty and clarity of the scriptures. When you abandon the scriptures, you actually lose the power of the gospel because you can't see it clearly. It's like you're in a fog and you don't know where to go. And the scriptures is what brings clarity to your spiritual life. If the gospels are centered The scriptures show us how to stay there. Show us how to stay centered on Jesus. So back to Romans 1, Paul's like, it's the power of God for salvation for all who believes. Paul's speaking this this power of God through the gospel. From this little town in Jerusalem, how could he speak to big, powerful Rome in this way? Like Rome... This place of conquerors, Rome, this place that had armies all over the world. Rome, although it was a military power, was a very weak nation. 
because they had trusted in themselves. And Paul says, the salvation you're looking for from the emperor will never come. You will always be lacking because salvation only comes from God. And this is what many of us are searching for today. Like real spiritual power. It's not found in culture. It's not found in your wallet. It's not found in your influence. It's found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. So look, man, like this rat race you're on to find a healthy spiritual existence is found in Jesus Christ. You say, well, I don't know if that was for me. No, no Paul made it clear in Romans 1.16 that it is for all, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Say, so what are we talking about? Well, he, he came through a Jewish lineage. This is God's chosen people. He's established the Jewish nation from the time of Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. And he promised to bring a Messiah to the world through them, and he did that. But it wasn't exclusively for the Jewish people. It was for all people. Listen to Romans chapter 10, verse 9. Scripture says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. There is no distinction between Jew and, Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Man, this salvation is for you. This power for living is for you. It is faith in Christ that saves the sinner. In the Old Testament, it was faith and works. In the New Testament, it's repentance and faith. Like it's this idea of like, like the Old Testament, I would believe and then I would go do the things God told. In the New Testament, I begin to believe and that belief shows me my sin and so I repent of my sin and then begin to go and do the good works that he's prepared for me beforehand, Ephesians chapter two. So it's the sense of as I believe, my natural reaction should be that I need to get low and repent because it is lordship that we're, the Lord's after is that he wants us to surrender to him that we might be completely his. So, so see Paul's logic here. I discover real spiritual power as I believe the gospel. I believe the gospel as I repent of my sins and make Christ my Lord. Second today, verse 17. If you really want to win this fight for faith, center your faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ and then set your aim for righteousness. Set your aim for righteousness. Friends, I believe this is where we've missed it in the modern church. Far too many times we've set our aim for influence, or we've set our aim for knowledge, or we've set our aim for material things. We've set our aim for so many things, but, but if you want a faith that works in your life, you must set your aim for righteousness. Righteousness is not something you can earn on your own. Righteousness is what you receive by faith from God through Christ. Like I receive his righteousness as I walk in him. As his blood covers me, as he's the sacrifice for my sins, what I receive from that covering is that I am like him. I am made right in God's eyes. The gospel reveals a righteousness that is by faith. Righteousness is God's gift to give 
in and through Jesus Christ. Listen to Romans chapter three, verse 25. The scripture says, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. That is the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Like righteousness is an attribute of God and God is gifting to us his righteousness. Now we we want to earn this on our own. That, That is natural. We want to say, well, I'm just gonna be better. Friends, you can't be better. Well, I'm just gonna make better decisions. I'm gonna reform my life. That is a lie from the pit of hell, friend. You can't reform your life. You don't have any power to reform your life, but Jesus can transform your life. Like your willpower and strength may get you through a crisis for a moment, but only transformation by the power of the gospel will change you for all eternity. And so when I set my aim for righteousness, what I'm saying is I have been transformed and I am being transformed by the power and the victory of Christ. I'm so privileged to be your pastor. And I've been walking with the Lord since I was eight years old. But I sure do hope in another 20 years, I'm much more like Jesus than I am today. And I hope that's your desire too. Why? Because I I made a decision in my life, and I want you to make a decision in your life, that I'm not going to judge my standing before God based on my Bible knowledge, based on the sermons I preach, based on the churches I lead, or anything that happens to me. I'm just going to base my standing before the Father with how much of Him is in me and how much of me is gone. That's what it looks like to set my aim for righteousness. That I want more of him in me. I want more of him in my responses to crisis situations. I want more of him when I'm frustrated with my kids. I want more of him when I'd rather kick the dog. You know what I'm talking about? Like I want more of him at every turn of my life. Like this is what healthy faith looks like. And I don't have it figured out yet, but I can tell you the way because what I'm discovering with an aim of righteousness is there is peace and there is joy that I never knew except on this road. And so set your aim towards getting you out and him in. And so we need to understand that at the core of Christianity is a gift of righteousness from Christ that we walk in day by day. Any other pathway of righteousness can be deconstructed. It's only Christ's way that leads to life. So when I set my aim for Christ's righteousness, I'm declaring that I want his life more than I want my own. This is how I have a faith that survives the currents of culture. You see, some of us, we think righteousness is found with suit wearing. You wouldn't believe how many emails I get about what I wear. (laughs) Look, our attire says a lot about what we think about the Lord but the quality of your clothing says nothing about your righteousness in heaven. For real, man. I I, I met a friend the other day who literally says it took him over a year to walk in the doors of our church because he wasn't certain he had the right clothes. How could that be? Listen to me. When you come to church, please wear clothes. (laughs) That's it. A friend that got baptized recently, 
He said, man, I didn't know if I could stand before the church and be baptized because I have so many tattoos. Man, while God should be glorified with our bodies, and it is not wise to mark your body in any way that dishonors the Lord, your tattoos don't disqualify you from walking with the Lord. So stop letting the enemy poke holes in these tertiary issues that are keeping you from coming to Jesus. Some are like, well, church, man, it's just full of hypocrites. Yes. It's full of hypocrites, man. And when you really think about it, Jesus had 12 disciples, and in the moment of his confrontation, his betrayal, and his arrest, they all scattered. They were all hypocrites. They said one thing and did another. So the standard of righteousness is not by how someone else lives. So you're not looking at someone else to determine whether you want to be a part of the Christian faith. You're looking at Jesus. And, and, and while I'm here, look, we have endured a season where many pastors have been disqualified for ministry because of sin in their life. And I understand that's so confusing. But, un, but recognize now, every pastor is a normal guy doing his best to walk with the Lord and serve the Lord in the role of pastor. Where the enemy has won is he has lured us into creating some celebrity Christian culture. And there is no celebrity in this church or honestly in any church other than the Lord Jesus Christ. And we've got to end this culture so that we can't we quit putting people on a pedestal. There's one person who should be on a pedestal in your life and his name is Jesus Christ. That's who should be on the pedestal in your life. So someone else's righteousness is not the standard for your righteousness. Jesus didn't die so you'd be like someone else. He died so that you would receive his gift of righteousness. He died so that you would receive his life in you. Sometimes people, they deconstruct their faith because they don't like the standard scripture places on them when it comes to divorce or abortion or racism or many other societal ills. But, but God's standard, friends, is God's standard. And while we all have sin in our past that we're ashamed of, we also have grace to cover that sin. So stop living labeled by the sin of your past and begin to live in his righteousness and the newness of his love. Like, it ultimately comes down to lordship and surrender. Like, Jesus is Lord whether you say he is or not. And his grace invites you into a life of freedom by confessing his truth. So stop trying to change the standard and rest in his grace. I really believe the reason why people leave the church because they don't like the standards of the scripture is because they don't really understand the grace of God. The grace of God covers all of our sin. So I don't feel like it's covering mine. That is guilt brought to you by the spiritual enemy, the devil. There's a difference in guilt from the devil and conviction from the Holy Spirit. Guilt from the devil says, man, you are terrible. You have ruined your life. You will never be. Any. I can't believe you did that. That is guilt, man. That is not from God. Conviction says, hey, man, that's out of bounds. Get that right. I love you. Get that right. But that's what conviction says. And you come to God in repentance and faith, and all of a sudden you feel the burden lifted because he has taken it and he cast it as far as the east is from the west. 
There's the difference in guilt and conviction. Guilt, you waller in it because you got no way out of it. Conviction, there is freedom and liberty in Christ where he takes your sin and you now can live his life. I, I think about all the disagreements in culture. You know, so, some people I think we, they, dis, they deconstruct because they view disagreeing in culture as equate, uh, equating to hate. L listen to me, we can disagree, but that doesn't mean we hate. Disagreement is not equal to hate. This typically plays out in, this, in the LGBTQ plus movement. Like anytime there's a disagreement res re involving lifestyle choices, it quickly goes into, well, you hate me. F friends, the Christian gospel has a standard from the Christian scripture. And so holding to the scripture does not make you hateful, it makes you Christian. This is who we are. We are bound by scripture. But being bound by scripture also means that we're called to love even those who disagree with us. And so if you're here today and you're like, man, the way the church hates people is why I'm not a Christian. Understand, and I'm sorry you've had that experience. That's not the true gospel. Like what Jesus really did was Jesus came in love and Jesus never lowered his standard. He always called people out of their sin to his life. And so while I can never agree that living a lifestyle that is alternative to what the scripture says is the right lifestyle, well, we can never say that's okay. We can tell you that Jesus loves you, he cares for you, and he desires for you to repent and believe in him. Like we, we can love and not hate. And while we're here, we should think about and really consider as the church, like, like why is it that for so many of our young people, this LGBTQ plus movement is so attractive to them that they talk about finding love. They talk about finding community. They talk about finding care. They talk about an identity and a purpose. Which makes me ask the question, isn't that what the church is supposed to be? Could it be the reason this movement has so much legitimacy in the eyes of the future generations is because all they've been taught is the rules of Scripture, never the heart of the gospel? If we're going to set our aim for righteousness, this affects generations. As they understand the heart of the gospel is God's love toward them, that he did not leave us as aimless and helpless, but he sent Jesus to die in our place so that we could be reconciled to him. Friends, people living in sin are not the enemies of the gospel. They're the mission. And we've got to recapture this redemptive love and passion to be a caring community of faith where all people can find the hope of the gospel and the love of Jesus Christ. And I recognize this is uncomfortable. Like, a lot of us don't like me preaching like this, but I just believe the church has been silent on these things for too long, man. Too, too many of our young adults and high school students are floundering in despair while we cling to some piety of they should just know better. And they don't because we've never taught them. 
But man, here is the way. Set your life, center your life on the gospel of Jesus Christ and set your aim towards righteousness and watch what God will do. Thanks for joining us this week on the Concord Online Podcast. If you have any questions surrounding today's sermon or simply want to learn more, you can do so at concordonline.org. Make sure to subscribe to this podcast to stay up to date with each weekly release. 